This podcast is brought to you by SMA, provider of the world's leading inverter technology and backed by the world's leading service team. With more than 850 service experts, 90 service hubs, 30-plus gigawatts installed globally, and thousands of commercial and utility-scale projects completed worldwide, SMA is the partner of choice for your PV projects. For more, visit www.sma-america.com. For the week of September 22nd, 2014, this is the Energy Gang from Green Tech Media, live in partnership with Clean Energy Connections. I'm Stephen Lacey, a senior editor at Green Tech Media, and we are in New York City at the Jerome L. Green Performance Space. Uh, we got the usual suspects with us. We have a couple special guests and, of course, a live audience. Please uh, make yourselves known for the people back home who will be listening to this. And uh, I know we got a raise of hands before, but I'm curious. I'd like to hear who was at the climate march yesterday. Good. I I think I've seen official estimates that it was around 400,000 strong now. Really remarkable diversity of groups. Very inspiring to see. And today we're going to be covering a topic that is certainly fueled by climate change. The utility of the future. What some dub... Utility 2.0. Certainly in New York, as we consider the future of how utilities are doing business and delivering electricity to customers, climate change considerations are a key piece of that. So um, certainly very relevant to to yesterday's march. Um, I do want to, I know we've gone through a lot of notes, but when we started off, I just want to thank Clean Energy Connections, which is, of course, uh, Solar One, NYC Acre, NYC Poly, for, for putting this together, and Green Tech Media is really excited to be a partner and to support the many great events that, that, that they've been uh, putting together and getting a lot of in, really amazing thought leaders on stage here. Um, and then for those out there on the live stream, maybe in the audience you don't know our podcast, you can go to greentechmedia.com slash podcast for a backlog of all our episodes. And we have more than enough lively discussion, some arguments even that will keep you uh, busy for days. So I'll introduce my uh, co-hosts here. We've got Catherine Hamilton, who is in D.C. with me. She is uh, a partner and co-founder of 38 North Solutions, a public policy, clean tech public policy firm. And uh, she, you know, has a lot of, uh, she's, she's been involved with a lot of advocacy organizations in the clean energy community and also started her career at a utility as well. So I know you weren't at the Climate March, but I, you did something else pretty fun this weekend. I did. I was on a rooftop installing solar systems uh, through Grid Alternatives. Erica Mackey was on our show previously. Mm-hmm. Man, she is a force of nature, and it was the most fun thing I've ever done. It was All awesome. Right. And uh, Grid Alternatives is opening up an office in D.C., so yes. spreading to the East Coast. Yes. Yeah, it's really great. And, of course, we have Jigger Shaw, who is the founder of Sun Edison. He's a clean tech investor. He is um, a major proponent of reforming utilities and talking about the utility of the future, uh, sometimes very aggressively so. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Feeling a little sunburned from the uh, march yesterday, but yeah, fantastic. Time, yeah. I think the sunburn actually came from Bryant Park afterwards when I was drinking some beer. <laughs> <laughs> Would you ever work for a utility jigger? Yeah, I'd be happy to figure out a way to own a utility. That <laughs> Just go to Germany. <laughs> I hear they're I cheap think these days. I is for sale pretty soon. Yeah. 
And we've got two very special guests with us, uh, Audrey Zibelman, who is the chair of the New York Public Service Commission. She has a very long history in the electricity sector, uh, notably as the chief operating officer of uh, the regional transmission organization, PJM, and then later founder of the intelligent efficiency company, Veridity Energy. She's also a leading progressive mind in energy regulation and has been instrumental in putting the process forward for thinking about how to change, um, bring proactive change in the electricity sector, the reason why we're all here today. Audrey, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. I know that you have a lot of speaking engagements, especially since the REV process went underway. I'm sure you have a lot of demand to to be on panel, so we're just really happy that you're here. Oh, it's always good to be in New York. (laughs) And uh, we have Sergei Monhovsky with us. He's director of Con Edison's Utility of the Future team. He uh, is the former director of long-term planning uh, and sustainability under Mayor Bloomberg and also balances his time as an adjunct professor at Columbia University's School of International and Public Affairs. So he brings a lot of deep sustainability and smart grid experience to the job. Um, how are things, Sergey? Did, did you ever imagine yourself working for a utility? <laughs> well, actually, it's, uh, it's a great little team we've got. Uh, but I was on the other side at the, at the city for, for a long time, so some people were surprised when I came to, to, to Con Ed, but it's, uh, it's been a great experience. So. Excellent. Thanks well, we'll want to hear how, yeah. your perception of yeah. being on both sides of that issue, which is pretty valuable for this discussion. So as usual, we're going to break this show up into three parts, and normally we're um, talking about three separate news topics, but this time around we have one specific topic, Utility 2.0, and we're going to break it up. Um, first, by talking about technology, and consumer behavior trends. Then we're going to talk about uh, the policy angle to this and what are some of the big, big broad policy goals that are create, you know, making the process, putting the process underway here in New York. And then we're going to look out on what the end goal of the REV uh, process here in New York is and talk about some other states and how it influences them as well. So, Audrey, maybe we can start with you because I'm sure people in this room are very familiar with what's going on here in New York. But... For those out there watching, not, maybe not based here in, in New York, for those listening to this podcast, why did you set in motion and others set in motion the process to get utilities thinking about turning into distributed system platform providers? What is that process and what were the technology and behavior changes associated with that, that decision to undertake this? So, um, do I have two hours? Well, no, three we have <laughs> So, so uh, you know, I, I think about this as, as actually pretty simple. Now, coming after Sandy, um, it was absolutely clear in New York we needed to think about resiliency. And resiliency is, in my mind, different than reliability. Reliability is as blue sky days you expect when you go in home, you turn on your light switch and it, and it works. Resiliency is if there's a storm, if there's an event. One is you don't want the grid to go down. But secondly, if it does go down, you want it to be restored quickly. We can't have people living in multi-story buildings, not able to get water, not able to get energy, things like that. Just won't happen. So, so we had to rethink that issue, and that's something we actually began to think about in the Con Ed rate case. But the other thing that, that's fundamental is uh, two pieces that kind of draw on the way I think about the energy grid. One is, is that uh, one of the things we're always concerned about is price. I mean, it, it has to remain affordable. Things that we know about energy is that what makes it most expensive is the fact that when you have a system that is highly inefficient, in other words, you build a system that is just going to meet a peak that you're going to just hit a few hours a year. And so what do you do to manage that? Well, you're not going to tell people, well, you can't have electricity during those few hours. What you need to think about is not thinking about the, a demand as something that we can't control, 
but really thinking about demand as the fundamental controllable element. So rather than thinking about the old way, what I call a sort of interruptible rates and demand response where we allow the grid to get really hot and then we drop load, is we start managing system the load first. We use distributed energy resources, which we define as anything and everything that you think about behind the meter, including load control devices, renewable solar devices, CHP, storage, things we haven't thought of before. And think about how you use those resources with the distribution utility or the DSP, almost like the conductor in the orchestra, managing those resources so that demand itself becomes highly efficient, and we manage that as the first resource, and we use actually the ability to manage demand and manage load as a way of, one, one controlling price, secondly, being an efficient use of capital. In other words, people are putting in these resources better now. Why not use them rather than just use it as sort of a suspenders, use it as part of really managing the grid itself, and in actually thinking about the fact that if we manage the efficiency of the system so it becomes more productive, it becomes more inexpensive, and we drive innovation because what we're really doing is saying that, that actually we're changing the way we think about the system. And we're not thinking about the customer last, but we're really putting the customer at the center, and we're re really rebuilding it from the customer out. What's, what's different today? I mean, could, so Superstorm Sandy aside, right, in, in this resiliency framework, which we'll talk about in the second section, but what's different to you technologically um, in terms of cost and the ability of businesses to deploy those technologies, either on the efficiency side or on the distributed generation side? Could you have done this five years ago, six, seven years ago? Well, you know, we started the dialogue actually at FERC when we, um, the FERC issued Order 745 and started monetizing demand and actually saying that a megawatt equals, a, as, equals the same thing as a megawatt, which is actually a truism, because all you're trying to do is keep the grid in balance. It's a single machine. What we really never did, though, was get that down to a consumer level and really thinking about how do you do that in most efficiently in aggregate. So what's going to be different and what we're thinking about in, in New York is, one, is you send the right price signals. You really provide the value to consumers or to their aggregators or to their representatives or to the technologists of what's the value to the system. And that's part of the role that we see of the distribution utility platform. They are sort of a platform. They're providing that two-way communication of the value of really managing demand. So that's one is the price. Second is, is that when, you know, when we developed the grid in, in the 20th century, we didn't have the, the ability to do big data management that we do today. And so now we do have the information that we can disclose the information and manage these resources on an aggregate scale. So when you think about it, it's not so much as, um, you know, in my mind, is like we're going to send every, tell everyone in New York you're going to become energy day traders. It's really a sort of as something as an entity like Con Ed saying, look, there's a value to, to us of being able to manage demand. And so if you put in a Nest thermostat or a, United, or a um, Honeywell thermostat or name it thermostat, you just you buy that thermostat and you're going to be automatically linked to a Con Ed program that's going to give you a saving. So it's not that you have to think about it. It's just really you think about is that what is the customer buying and they might want to have more control. But I think it's important to note, though, that six years ago, these concepts were all heretical, right? I mean, you had Enernoc going into PJM trying to say, please let us actually sell this demand response resource into the PJM. The PJM says, sure, but only on the actual worst possible days. 
you can't actually bid this in every day. It really wasn't until, you know, for Order 745 and John Wellinghoff's leadership and getting all that done. That's all been in the last six years, right, which is literally the snap of the, your fingers in the utility world, right? And so, I mean, I do think we've come an extraordinarily long way in just six years. Yeah, absolutely. Sergey, where's Con Edison coming from at this in terms of uh, potential threats, potential changes to what consumers want? You know, I've seen Con Edison speak publicly about this and talk about, well, we're not just responding necessarily to regulators. Of course, there's a lot of that. But it's, they're saying, well, consumers want this stuff, and we actually want to react to um, what people are telling us. And I think that, that utilities are slowly coming around to that and actually trying to give people what they want. How does that play into how you yeah. approach this? Well, I mean, if you think about it, there's so much hand-wringing in the sector if you look at the trade press and the, and the podcast and so much. But I, I think <laughs> the way... <laughs> And Jigger's the godfather. No, I'm sorry. No, it's not, coming. not the hand it's coming. Causing the Can't wait for it. No, I'm, I'm kidding. The death spiral. Uh, the death spiral. <laughs> Did you coin that, Jigger? No. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So, so I, um, I think what's interesting for us is, um, I mentioned the hand-wringing. I think we're, we're taking a different approach, which is we already have a team. Our, our energy efficiency team actually is already involved in many communities looking at ways of uh, reducing. It's a fundamental part of our business is actually looking at um, uh, you know, we want to address what customers want. If every meeting I go to with our senior management, the question is, how does this further our, our customers' interests? Is this, is this serve the customer? That's one of the reasons I was so impressed when I, uh, when I came uh, to the utility. But, you know, so the way we're approaching it is um, we, we see, we already do, t- uh, for example, targeted demand response, working with technology suppliers, uh, really to reduce loads in, in certain areas. Uh, we have what I think is a historic um, effort underway in uh, Brooklyn, Queens area, our so-called Brownsville project. It spans a number of neighborhoods uh, to look at actually uh, deferring a major capital investment in a substation and actually spending um, resources to enable customers t- uh, up to 40 megawatts worth over just a couple of years and also some non-traditional utility side and measures. I mean, they're, they're writing the history books as we speak right now, you know, working with the commission on this. And I think... Um, so, you know, we have to get the rate and regulatory structures right, and I, we're, I know we're going to talk about that later. But um, I think uh, we're looking at better ways to serve our customers that are, you know, consistent with how we do things. And I think this is where, you know, utilities are genetically modest almost. I think I, I look at it, you know, there's a, a very deep high-tech element uh, to what we do. And, uh, you know, we want to serve as a technology platform uh, to really enable that innovation. Mm-hmm. To the folks out there in the... DG community, people who are um, installing solar, people who are selling demand response, how honest should they take your word and uh, a utility like Con Edison? You know, a lot of utilities talk about this stuff, and then they're not necessarily as progressive in the back room. I mean, how honest is this in terms of the real shift that's coming for Con Edison and other utilities? So there's a, uh, in April, uh, uh, Chair Zibelman and the the commission started a a very public process, uh, the REV proceeding and it's in and it's you know it's uh, September now uh, we are uh, and it's going to continue into early next year so it's a very public process I think uh, to to Audrey's credit and, and Richard Kaufman they've they've been very thoughtful about uh, putting us down a pathway uh, that that actually makes sense from the societal good perspective uh, really looking at, 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 the, at the structure um, and allowing for public comment and a lot of argument in a very public forum. So I think, I think that process in and of itself is, uh, I think, answers, answers that question. Well, but I, yeah. I think, um, I mean, th- you've heard me say this before, Sergey, but like, I think what's interesting to me is the utilities have 
hundreds um, of customer service reps, right? And their job is basically to hear from their customers, and they usually have individual customers who are their clients, and those clients call them up and say, I've got a voltage problem, I need a voltage regulator, I've got this problem, can you help me, et cetera. And 90% of the time, the utility basically says no, right, to their requests, right? And, and I'm not criticizing Con Ed. This is actually a very sort of common utility problem, as opposed to saying yes, but it'll cost you this much more a month on your electricity bill because we're going to actually finance it through on-bill payment mechanisms or that kind of stuff. I mean, when you have a company who basically responds to most of their customer requests with, no, we can't do that for you. No, I don't think that's going to be in the cards today. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of fundamentally sort of on the opposite side of capitalism, isn't it? I don't know how to answer that. Well, <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean, that's where we are today. I, but right? I, but I, I can answer it. I mean, I think we have a long history in the utility industry of saying, look, we, we get our revenue requirements you know, established in these rate cases. We're going to spend, but we're going to save our operating expenses as much as we can because in between rate cases, that's how we increase our earnings. And, you know, actually when we have to put product out there, rather than that increasing our revenue opportunities, that actually decreases our earnings. So it's so conflated than any other company would think about is that, you know, developing product, getting more customers, getting customer value is somehow not going to make it, make it good for your shareholders. It actually makes it bad for your shareholders. So, you, you know, one of the things that I talk about is, is that um, it, when I think about this, is utilities, and I, and I don't mean this in a, at all pejorative, it's actually true, that like any other company, they're going to figure out a way to maximize their profits within the business environment in which they operate, right? And so the regulatory construct that we've had for the last, you know, since the 30s and 40s and 50s made sense. We were in a period of huge electric demand growth. We had a huge amount of infrastructure that we had to make. And so the way we constructed utilities is said, one is you're a natural monopoly, Secondly, you're going to get a return on your, on your investment and of your investment. And that return has to be sufficient to allow you to attract capital at reasonable expense so you can invest more. We've just totally tra- changed the world now. We're, we're actually seeing slowing and negative demand. But in New York in particular, we have you know, old infrastructure that we have to replace. We looked at about a $30 billion over the next 10, 15 years off of a smaller customer base and a customer base that's using electricity, but it's actually using it, if you will, we're more inefficiently because we're using so much of it for so much of our system. So that, that suggests to me is from a, the way to make this behavior change, and we're going to talk about more, is change how utilities get rewarded. If all you're going to reward them on is investing in capital, then that's all they're going to figure out how to do is put more wires up, build more plants and things like that. If you reward them on making the system more efficient, if you reward them on driving innovation by allowing third parties to come in and offer more product, they'll figure out how to change their business model. So the big thing that you know we think about in New York, I'm thinking about it when I look around the world, I, I don't want to create mediocre wires companies. I want to create excellent, innovative companies that have third parties wanting to come to New York and build businesses around DER because they see that it's a marketplace where they could be successful and then we can lead everywhere else. So the way to do that, I think, is to really drive the, the utilities to be innovators. I mean, I know a lot of folks are sort of skeptical 
And I think it's right to be skeptical because there's no history of doing that. But I, I don't see any excellent company that's sort of been regimented as to say, you do the old stuff and we'll do the interesting stuff somewhere else. So well, that's, I think that's it's the innovation. Right the it. innovation is what's going to change the relationship with right. the utilities. I mean, I was one of those customer service reps where, like, the person would call and say, the transformer outside my house is controlling my brain, and I would have to say, yes, sir, I'm sure you're correct. Um, and so <laughs> I remember having to do that, and that was, you know, you really did have to pick up the phone every time somebody called. And at some point, that relationship became very separate. The customer and the utility um, just you know, with, with centralized call centers, you know, the, the people you would call weren't anywhere near the lines. I knew the people who called. I knew who the crazy people were. Um, and so the, the relationship kind of became separate. And now, because of innovation and because of what you're doing, the relationship is going to have to get a lot closer. And, Sergey, I would love to hear kind of how you see that evolving relationship yeah. with your consumer. Do you see a pull from your consumers? Yeah, I mean, I'll, let me give you one example of, uh, like, a cool technology uh, uh, in a, a cool piece of innovation that engages a customer. So our energy, uh, excuse me, our energy efficiency team uh, worked with a company called uh, Think Eco to develop a um, a way of controlling portable air conditioners. If you think about it, during summer, um, the, our peak load is twenty percent of our peak load is portable air conditioning, and normally it's just a low, medium, hot kind of uh, switch. Uh, now consumers who are part of this program can control their their um, uh, the air conditioner remotely, and they can also get paid if they allow us to, you know, control their air conditioner just by a couple degrees during peak times. And people love this device, and particularly uh, the 18 to 35 demographic uh, really, really likes likes being able to control control their bills, likes being able to control their energy usage. You know, that's one example. Um, we also have different technology platform investments which are going to allow us to, you know, um, you know for example. We're working right now to be able to, to not only visualize uh, DERs on our grid, but be able to enroll them automatically, do the market settlement and dispatch eventually. So these are, these are investments utilities are making that are really going to enable the, envision, the vision that, uh, that, uh, that REV uh, foresees. So I think, I, I think five, ten years from now, that's going to be really a fundamental part of our our practice. But so I think to your point, the demographic's changing, right? I mean, we, we tend in this business, I mean, we finally, we don't call customers rate payers anymore. I think we've made some progress along those lines. <laughs> or rate takers. Or rate takers, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so that's good. But, but even within the classes, I think that we're starting to get smarter around that a demographic between 18 and 30 thinks about uh, how they consume and how they relate differently than people who are maybe in their 60s and 70s. And so the products we design have to be much more focused on, on where the customers are. So we can't, you know, I don't even want to hear about any more, well, there's residential, commercial, and industrials, thinking that if you, once you identify that class, you've understood everything about them. Because that's that's all going to change, and so my my view about it, I, I the vision I have, and I you know I always it's always so hard to come up with analogies, but I, I really do think of it as a platform business, and that what I, and the reason one of the things I want to be really clear about because we talk about utility point two point we deliberately called this reforming the energy vision not because we just wanted a different name, but we really wanted to say this is not about utilities. Utilities are now the platform. This is about the innovation on top of the platform that's going to make consumer needs more important. What I want is New York's feeling, New Yorkers feeling that they are getting a lot of value for their energy dollar, 
And that value is being driven by a lot more choice of product and services than they ever had before. And that that may mean that there are actually some people who may want to spend a little bit more than they historically have spent because they wanted higher quality service. They want more information about what services they're buying or their appliances or anything else. Or if they're an industrial customer, they want better power quality. All those things are sort of the way we need to think about it. And in fact, if we start envisioning it and say this is what it's going to look like, we know we're wrong. But the idea is, is that the role of the distribution utility is no longer just delivering energy to the wire, but actually taking all the resources and all the potential that sits behind the meter and getting the highest amount of value out of it because we know once you do that, again, you're going to get your other goals around clean energy, efficiency, resiliency, and price. And so it's, it's really thinking about that we, we need to be moving on a regulatory front on how do we get the utilities to rethink their role as saying the just say no guys to more and more and more because we're going to be better economically if we get more on our system. Sergey, are you speaking the same language as Audrey internally at Con Edison? He has to. <laughs> <laughs> I have I actually have one thing and I'll let you speak. We, we have a, I have this thing. I want to develop one of these signs. You know how I remember the signs like no smoking, no this? I want to have a sign to say you can't blame the regulator. I don't want to ever hear a, you know, a customer say, well, utility says this is a great idea, but you won't let them. That's, that's sort of going to be our new mantra in the state. So, so let me tell you kind of the, 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 uh, <clears throat> kind of the bedrock of how utilities operate, which many of you know. Um, if you think about Con Ed as a system, the you know, $20 billion of assets under the ground, uh, if you strung together all the cabling, it would go from here to halfway to the moon. Uh, I think it would be uh, you know, one of the largest copper mines in the world. Um, Con Ed customers support 9% of U.S. GDP. And so you have to, you know, so these are the kind of things on the mind of, de of decision makers. You have to make the system reliable and resilient, um, particularly you know, after Hurricane Sandy. When I, I was with the mayor's office, and actually one of the reasons, I don't think I've told any people this, one of the reasons I actually came to, to Con Ed was, uh, you know, we, in some cases, when you work for a city, you can be adversarial with, with your utility, but having gone through, you know, many months of the, you know, restoration process and then a whole um, effort to look at, you know, um, storm hardening, um, you know, what I saw during that event was uh, nothing short of heroic. I'm not going to say that on the record. It was amazing what, um, what a utility can mobilize and the kind of knowledge base uh, that people have been working there 20, 30, in some case 40 years, uh, what they mobilize. And a utility would spend money with not necessarily a guarantee of cost recovery in some cases uh, to, 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 to restore power as quickly as possible. So that, that really, um, that was a, a, a you know, I, I turned gray after that event, and a lot of other people <laughs> dealt with much worse than I did. But you wear it, it was, well. Yeah, thank, thank, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, you're kind of speckled, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, so th imagine, so this is, this is the, the, the weight that, that, that they hold on, on their shoulders is, is, is the economy, their, the customers, is the reliability of the system, is the safety. So let's start there. <clears throat> um, Rev is, is, is very interesting to us because there's, it gives us a pathway to understand where we're going to go as a business in the future because it's inevitable that some of these distributed technologies, I know we still have to talk about more about the technologies, that, that they're going to get more cost-effective and that they have to, they're going to be integrated into the system somehow. What, what, um, 
Audrey has allowed for is, is there, there to be a process and a regulatory structure to understand that glide path to get from where we are today uh, to that future. So from that standpoint, it is, it is something that, that is very welcome. And, and it's, you know, it's a process that's very, you know, it's really giving us a chance to do a lot of soul searching to understand what our role is. And, you know, as I mentioned before, I think we, we see ourselves as the technology platform. We see ourselves, um, you know, providing reliable service and, and, you know, dispatching these resources, allowing customers to get the value that they need out of the system. So, um, so the answer is yes, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a long process to get there. Mm. Let's uh, take a quick break here from the live show to recognize our sponsor, SMA, an inverter provider that is very relevant to the conversation we're having on controlling the distribution grid, both for utilities and solar project owners. A properly maintained solar plant can increase yield up to 30%. And SMA wants you to maximize your production and accelerate your investment payback with its operations and maintenance service, which includes 24-7 remote monitoring for commercial and utility PV plants. O&M offerings from SMA are scalable to fit your business model and are backed by the industry's number one service team. Uncover the full potential of your PV system and the grid with SMA service. Find out more at sma-america.com. And now back to the live show. Well, we want to get to three different segments. So I'll use the Sandy Hook as a way to get into some of the policy drivers. And I'm sure people here in this room um, are acutely aware, uh, people based in New York City, of the impact of Sandy on uh, the electrical infrastructure and how that's changed the process and thinking about building new infrastructure and operating that infrastructure. And um, we were talking about this after Sandy when we actually first started the podcast and we had a discussion about what it might do in, in New York and other uh, northeastern states. And, you know, all three of us had been talking to folks in different states and it was very clear that this was very much baked into the decision-making process, um, not just among utilities, but among city planning and so forth, New York being at the forefront. Sure enough, many months later, the rev process was underway, and I think, I mean, at least for those of us outside of the process, surpassed our expectations on what we, we thought we might see. So, Audrey, for people who are not in New York or who might not have experienced Sandy or the aftermath of Sandy, Describe how baked in resiliency is to the way you're thinking about these issues. I think that's really important for people to understand. Sure. Well, I mean, a lot of the uh, driver for, for REV was, was actually thinking about a couple things. One is we absolutely needed the grid to be resilient, in other words, be responsive. We need to be really smart about thinking about how do you think about distributed energy resources, not anymore as on the periphery, of the way utility works, but actually central to how we develop and manage the system. So the types of things that we're talking about in REV are things like providing transparency as to where resources would, might need to be. Secondly, it would be taking, a, take a, for example, look at critical infrastructure, critical needs of the system, thinking about how you embed energy planning to how do you do city planning. You know, you, you need, we need, when you have um, mission-critical load, and anyone who runs a data center thinks about this, but if you think about a city, is really thinking about how you're going to manage the system in a major event and knowing where all the distributed resources are and how you can manage to that. So you can actually think about this as not just an, something that you hope happens by accident, but you actually plan 
and, and effectuate. So that's, those are sort of all thought through in terms of how we would like us, like, like to think about the grid of, of the future. But the other thing that I would say in New York is, you know, um, we, we didn't see this as, as an option for us. I mean, we have to reduce prices. Electricity needs to remain affordable. We need to think about not only uh, the commercial and industrial customers who, you know, spend a lot of money and time thinking about energy, but how we're going to deal with low income and, and other forms and what kind of programs we need to put in place there. And then the other thing that w was, uh, in, again, is the recognition is that with the prices of clean energy coming down, it wasn't so much whether or not the technology was available or um, even feasible, but it was really making sure the regulatory structure was right. And that, that was really sort of the, um, I would say, the aha moment or what drove me to New York was, was the ability to work with an administration who saw after Sandy how critical it was to have strong energy infrastructure and how critical it was to have a regulatory structure and utilities that, as well as everything else that was associated with it, working together to deal with not just the blue sky days but all the days and making sure that that all worked. And so um, I would say it starts with resiliency, but it, but it also is a recognition that even on blue sky days, that if we could use distributed energy resources and harness them better, we're going to be a lot better off for all the other objectives that we want to have around the electric system. It's also political, though, right? I mean, you know, like my... My brother-in-law lived at Stuyvesant Town and had a two-month-old during Sandy. And um, and my um, and my other cousin lived in um, in Brooklyn. And so he came over the bridge and picked him up. And you know they lived on the tenth floor, so they had to take all the baby stuff down ten flights of stairs down, et cetera. Right. So when when the governor comes out with this massive program, and Audrey comes out and says we're going to do this rev program and all this other stuff, you know if this is if this is Arkansas, this isn't going to happen. Right, because people are saying, "Why would we go through all this complication? My grid's just fine. You know, things are sort of working for me. I sort of just want to put solar on my roof. Like, you know, why are we going to do this wholesale change?" But the politics of New York have changed. I mean, people recognize why we have to do this and why it makes sense to actually move this quickly into the future. Um, and I, I, I don't think you could have got it. You could have gotten public support for this level of change if it wasn't for Sandy. I. I I actually, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I want to, you know, there was a recognition after Sandy that it was just a heightened awareness, I think, across the board that people re realize that business as usual is just not going to cut it anymore. But it's really different what you all are doing than what New Jersey is doing, the approach you're taking. And I've been filing, in fact, I spent all weekend writing comments on the ref. <laughs> yeah, for various are you, have and sundry you written people. a record number of comments? Are you like I've, no. I submitted two today on the train and just prayed we didn't go into a station so that I would lose my internet connection. But um, I've also been participating in New Jersey's process, and theirs is very different. They have an energy resilience bank, so they're paying for some projects. They're doing some backup to solar rooftop. But it's very much more about just backing up what they have rather than making a wholesale change. And what you all have done is completely different because you've stepped back and said, let's take a whole vision of this. And, and this vision has a lot of different goals. And the goal isn't just resilience, but it's also having fewer greenhouse gases and having a more, you know, more ability for consumers to interact. So in my mind, it's a much more holistic approach. I think in the end, the <coughs> results are going to end up being longer-lasting 
and multifaceted. Well, I think it also comes from a philosophy that that's um, for us, um, and I, you know, it's part of the whole team. It is Richard Kaufman, it's John Rhodes, it's Alfred, it's you know, it's Green Bank, it's Nyserta. We're all sort of in this together. It's NIPA, and we're we're all thinking about it from the same sort of level, standpoint. One is we think the markets will do it, and mar- and and innovators will do better in developing solutions then either um, regulators or utilities will do on their own. So we have to figure out what are the barriers to innovation and, and drive them down. The second is recognizing that a lot of the technology is commercially ready, but it may need some financial boost. So that's where Green Bank comes in, is to provide some sort of financial capability. The third is what we're doing with NYSERDA is really focusing and thinking about how do we eliminate soft costs, how do we think about bridging the gap around some, you know, R&D and new technologies, but really what's market transformational. So I think what's really unique and I'm proud of to be part of is that each of the agency, energy agencies in New York, and has their role and their focus, but we're all very much focused in thinking about the different levers we can pull to get there. And that's why when people say it's more comprehensive, it is more comprehensive because we're not just talking about, well, let's put in AMI. Well, let's put in time of use pricing, and that'll be the magic bullet, and we'll be all done. It's really saying, well, there's a financial aspect. Uh, in NIPA's case, they're, they're really changing, and they're starting to take a look at a lot of their customers. How do they serve them better? In, green, in terms of NYSERDA, it's really rethinking about eliminating soft costs as well as the financing side of Green Bank. And I, I kind of think that unless you do that, you know, you're going you're gonna to miss something. And I, and I think that hopefully... Um, for me, is once we get this done, it becomes a model then that other states can take a look at and say, well, that, that worked. Well, I mean, I don't know if you can say this, but, but I think, you know, I mean, I can certainly say this. I think when you think about, you know, like folks like Sergey who, you know, worked, you know, with arguably the smartest people on the planet within the Bloomberg administration mm-hmm. when they're trying to do their work, um, and then, you know, Richard actively recruiting you to the stage and, and, and many of the other people, um, you just don't have that intellectual horsepower in New Jersey. And it's not because, <laughs> you know, and it's, and it, you know, and it's not because sorry, it doesn't I'm exist, <laughs> right? It's not because it doesn't exist, but, you know, but, but Chris Christie oh, hasn't man. attracted it to New Jersey, right? I mean, look at, look at Ralph Izzo and his point of view at PSE&G, oh, right? His point of view is everything's got to get rate-based. Right? It doesn't matter. If it's solar, rate-based. This, rate-based. Even the grid hardening, rate-based. What you guys are trying to do is figure out how to make the market work. And that is fundamentally difficult. It's something that California hasn't figured out. It's something that no other state in the country has so figured out. So you're saying out. California is devoid of intellectuals? On no, this look, issue? I think... Well, I've been, I've been very clear that, you know, Florio and Mike Peavy are on both sides of the deal. I mean, they're not, they're not all committed to the future. They're sort of half committed to the past and half committed to the future. And, and that's what's kept California, I think, from moving all the way to where they need to go. But, you know, I just think that the level of intellectual resolve in New York to figuring this out, we don't know the answer. In New York, but we know that we have the smart, smart enough people like Catherine is putting comments in and other people that are getting involved, et cetera, that we're going to figure it out, right? And, that, and that's, that's, a, that's a damn risky process to go down, right, is to say we don't have the answer. We're not actually just copying somebody's textbook that they've already published. We're actually writing the textbook during the process. And that just takes real guts, I think, on part of the governor, which they haven't showed in New Jersey. I- <laughs> 
You're right. I can't say that. But what I can say um, is that I do think that one of the things we have going for us in New York is some really smart decisions several years ago. One is uh, when we restructured New York, we did require the utilities largely to sell off uh, their generation. So we don't have utilities or say, well, I'm a generating company or am I a wires company? And that, that actually helps. And then on a regulatory front, we, we move to forward-looking test years. Uh, we, have, uh, we, we do revenue uh, decoupling mechanisms. So we, we actually got everybody convinced that you know, doing energy efficiency, doing clean energy is not a bad thing for you. Well, we're trying to move it from being not a bad thing but a good thing. And so that's, that's where we're going. But the other thing in the process that um, I actually am proud of is, is that we did decide that we're, rather than doing a litigation where everyone just writes papers, is we would use the collaborative. And that having a lot of folks engaged, it is sort of real time, you know, where you have a lot of good thinkers putting in comments and coming out with a, sort of a framework, getting some input, refining it, but moving also very quickly. And that was the other thing that I, that I think was real, is really important, is we've decided from the get-go that this wasn't something we could spend three or four years talking about and thinking about and then hoping the next administration would solve, but that w- we would do it very quickly. We would do it in a very entrepreneurial way. In other words, we'll start somewhere, and we will continue to evolve it because we know that we're not going to get to the end point in the first set of plans, but, but we will start doing things right away. So a lot of the things that we're talking about, the uh, New York Prize, New, uh, New York Sun, all of these, if you think about it, are early days of where we want to go. But it's, it's really getting all these activities underway and creating the momentum because I think once you get the momentum, you, you know, there's no stopping. And one of the fundamental things, you know, I'll feel like if I'm successful, if, if two or th- two years down the road, if, con- if New York consumers experience around energy is fundamentally different and they say, hey, I kind of like this. I get more information. I feel more control. There are more products and services. You know, we'll feel like we're, we're on the way. And that's, that's why I think, again, not talking about utility, but really talking about it from the consumer, is, you know, those things to me are the most exciting aspect of what we're doing. When you think about the Internet and mobile phone infrastructure today, we have a surplus of, of infrastructure, right? It's what the market can bear. It's what the market pays for. We have lots of unused fiber with Fios and all these other things. And you're going to see the same thing in the grid. I mean, as people put in millions of solar projects, you know, hundreds of thousands of combined heat and power projects, you know, millions of geothermal heat loops, and all of this stuff occurs, a lot of this natural gas capacity that we have will become surplus natural gas capacity. We won't have a capacity safety factor of you know, 12% or 15% or 20%, we'll have a safety factor of 50%, right? Because you literally will have all this generation. And then I think, as Audrey says, if you actually are able to create the level of dexterity and demand that we currently enjoy in supply, then you can get rid of the top 100 hours and you can figure out how to do pre-cooling of buildings and all this other stuff that basically makes that, that, that peak even even larger, and, and what, then what happens is, is that you add electric vehicles and you have all the charging infrastructure for electric vehicles and all that becomes demand response. Um, and you start to really see how the grid actually has a lot more choices. 
and that when you apply the internet to the grid and you actually have all these nodes and you can control all these nodes with the click of a button as opposed to what the utilities used to, which is picking up the phone and calling a generator, um, you actually get to the stage where you could see how you could get all of this innovation um, onto, onto the grid. And my own sense is that, is that this proceeding it, at the Public Service Commission is not really just about resiliency. It's also about figuring out how you actually unlock the greatest entrepreneurial, you know, sort of wealth creation opportunity that New York has in front of it. I mean, you actually have the ability to create, you know, multiple billionaires, lots of new publicly traded companies, lots of new things. And how do you make sure that they're based here in New York as opposed to be based somewhere else? Well, you give them their largest market in New York, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the ways to attract them here. Yeah. So that brings us to the third topic, which is where are we going? What are we trying to achieve here? We've, we've covered that in different ways. But um, I guess let's start with the end goal of the REV process. Um, and maybe, Catherine, I'll start with you because I'd, I'd like to know, like, how so far in the filing, when you look at all the comments, how different is your vision and the folks that you're working with, with uh, the PSC's vision and Con, Ed is, Con Edison's vision and... Depends on who I'm writing them for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's really exciting because it's la- it, it actually is laid out in a way that allows for a lot of creativity in thinking about this and how is this really going to look. And so, you can no matter what organization you represent or what you know what sector you represent, you can bring to that your vision and put it on there. And that's what's sort of neat about it. So for the storage folks, I've submitted comments that are very focused on storage, but it's like looking at it with the lens of storage. And you certainly can then create a future that looks heavy in storage for the Rev. Um, uh, John Wellinghoff and I have teamed up with one of my colleagues, Jeff Kramer, to come up with a sort of slightly different vision, which... um, you know, I, I think the the interesting thing about the REV process is that it really is getting people to be creative about looking at the future, about um, coming up with a whole bunch of different solutions that I think any any grouping of which or any, you know, the utilities will be able to, to pick and choose which solutions are really going to work and they're going to accomplish goals of you know, resilience and entrepreneurship. And I think another huge one is greenhouse gas reduction because this is all going to be playing at the same time that 111D, the EPA rule, is. And so I feel like there are just so many different ways that you can participate in the REV, and, you know, I've been lucky to be able to participate in a number of them. Catherine, you should give us, though, two minutes or three minutes on your your John Wellinghoff paper, your distributed generation, you know, system operator vision. Well, it's really, John's really the brains behind it, Um, but it's sort of trying to take the independent system operator that's on the bulk power side and replicate that on the distribution side so that you would have, you know, a distribution system operator. So you take operation of the grid away from the utilities themselves. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and you let competition just go where it may. And I think that... um, you know, it's a it's a pretty interesting vision. There, um, it's it's really a leapfrog thing, and so um, you know, we we we've come into it with our eyes open, and we just want to make sure that that's at least part of what's being discussed, just sort of a different way of looking at it. And as far as I can tell, it's beyond the scope of what's being proposed in the rev process. What's your response to that, and how different is that to, of I don't your know vision? If she can talk about it. <laughs> well, no. Well, I, what I can talk about is is that when when we when the staff put out their white paper. 
they, they raise the question is, should the utility be the distribution system operator or should we use a third party? Um, the objective, though, I think that I can talk about is, is that we're, we're impatient. We want to get this moving, and we don't want to spend really the next four or five years thinking about how you can architect the perfect uh, market versus getting the assets built. And that's really what uh, I would say is a couple fundamental differences from where we are in terms of animating a retail market versus what did we needed to do when we were uh, looking at unbundling at the wholesale level when we created the RTOs. Because there's a couple of things. One is the transmission grid itself is a single machine. We have three interconnects in the United States. And so actually having a grid operator that has a lot of um, area, area of this, um, wide area um, awareness and being able to have a single market makes sense because that's the way the grid was developed. It was integrated. Distribution utilities are different. They're not integrated with each other. They're really just operating as a separate system. So having one entity oversee it all is not going to create any efficiencies naturally because they're very, very different systems. Con Ed's system is totally different than upstate New York. So, so there's those types of th factors. But the most important thing is, is that what we need to do over the next five, ten years is really develop an asset base. And so what we really be, need to be focused on is how do we create the markets, how do we create the innovation, and how do we get everyone excited to get there. And so what, I, what, what we're thinking about when we think of the structure is we don't want to put ourselves in a position that a lot, you know, where regulation can go and historically has gone is let's spend five years talking about this. Let's spend six years negotiating the contract between the DSO and the utilities. And then seven years down the line, maybe we'll get started on building the assets. I, I just don't think we have the time, and I certainly don't have the patience. So I'm looking for what's the most efficient way to get there. Well, and I have a question for Sergey on this, because the grid does look different here than it does in the Adirondacks. Right. I have a cabin in the Adirondacks. I'm super aware of that. So I could actually see it playing out differently depending on the regions and the state and what the needs are. And I would just love to hear your yeah. take on that. Yeah, you know, one of the coolest things about my job right now and also working for the mayor previously is uh, I got to see a lot of different technology companies and ideas, um, you know, come and go in some cases. Uh, some harebrained ideas, some brilliant, some both, some that worked, uh, billionaires created. Um, and, and, and so it's, we're seeing a tremendous period of innovation right now. It's so exciting to be uh, part of this. But I think what, what's going to really uh, make this work uh, you know, every utility is going to be a bit different. And, uh, you know, we even have a small R&D department. And I think part of it, part of us being successful is really figuring out how to be the technology platform to provide that integration. And, um, and I think, I think we're, we're, we're t you know, we're, we're, I wouldn't say well along the way, but I think we are on that pathway right now. And so REV is allowing us to even accelerate that. So, um, you know, look, different boroughs are going to look different, for example. So we have tremendous potential for solar in the city, but it's going to look different in Staten Island and Westchester versus in, in, in Manhattan and, or Brooklyn, Queens. Uh, same for CHP. Um, if you look at what we're doing and try to defer uh, capital investment in a substation in Brooklyn, Queens, uh, that in and of itself is so historic. The number of players have come uh, to, to respond to that and, and some of the ideas that they've, they've brought forth. Um, it's just a tremendous amount of creativity going on right now. So I think we have to um, embrace that. We have to figure out how to 
how to, it, there's not going to be one technology that wins. It's going to be a portfolio of them. And, and our role is to make sure that, that we, can, when we can integrate it properly. We have to get the rate and regulatory structure right. But, um, but yeah, we're, we might look a little bit different than other utilities upstate. Well, let me, uh, I don't want to end on a negative note here. We have a few minutes. But I think it's pretty unique here in New York in terms of uh, the, the post-Sandy post planning process, the leadership we have, um, particularly in New York City and at um, you know, the regulatory level, the utilities themselves are facing unique infrastructure challenges. So the conditions have all come together very well for this to happen. And, and, and uh, the question is, how difficult will it be for other large utilities? And this, this, um, this is going to require utilities to shed certain part of their, parts of their business. It's going to require some utilities to get smaller. And there's a big issue. So, I mean, that's a major issue. Uh, Sergey, I don't know if you want to answer that first, but Jigger, you've talked about that as well. Like that, inevitably, well, when we talk I mean, about this, you're, you're talking about you making some utilities smaller. And yeah, let, let's start with a question to the audience, right? How many of you guys are insisting that your retired parents actually own utility stocks? Right? No hands. None, right? Why? Because these, these aren't the safe businesses that they were in the 1980s. They're just not. We are going through a period of incredible change. And some of these utility companies will become Verizon, which will become much larger businesses, much bigger businesses, and much more stable businesses. And others will become you know, what AT&T became, which was practically bankrupt in 1999 until um, SBC bought them um, and renamed the company AT&T. And that's what it is, right? I mean, and it's not... It's not a good thing or a bad thing, right? I mean, it's creative destruction. That's capitalism 101. And it's about consumers having choice and consumers actually getting all these benefits. The one thing, though, I just I want to make sure that we note on this podcast a little bit is that, um, you know, the state of California has not come out with a 100% renewable energy goal. They have not. And I don't think New York has either. And so one of the challenges I see, or Jay Inslee in Washington State or some of the other folks that we'd look to to do that, I mean, one of the challenges we do have in, you know, in response to this climate march here in New York is finding where the leadership is from governors who want to say, look, you know, I'm going to set a time frame. It's going to be 2030, and we are going to do this because we can, because we're Americans, because we have the technology and we have the know-how and the willpower to get there. And, you know, I think, I, I think that's something that's sorely missing, not only, you know, in, in, in New York, but also in, you know, California and lots of other places. All right, well, we are uh, running low on time here, so I just I want to thank everybody. This is such an amazing conversation. Uh, thanks to Sergey and Audrey for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, Jigger and Catherine, always good to see you guys. And, you know, we'll catch you next week, as always. So just a reminder to people out there, uh, you can listen to this podcast anytime you want at SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, iTunes. You can download it. And every time we post a new episode, you get it automatically uploaded. Uh, and at greentechmedia.com slash podcast, we post show notes. And throughout the links, you can see the, the topics that we discuss. There are all sorts of materials there, uh, white papers and links to other stories. Um, thank you so much to Clean Energy Connections for hosting this. This is a really fabulous event series. Green Tech Media is excited to be a part of it, and we're thrilled to do another live podcast. So thanks, everyone. Thank you.